He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, you, you make a great point. I think it's attracting young people back to the hotel industry. But in, but in a slightly alternative way. But what's funny is you'll see the companies sort of start as, we are not a hotel, right? Yeah. They'll say that at first. But then over time, they realize, no, the hotels really got it right. They got standardized cleaning right. They got all of these things so that a guest knew what to expect. And now they're saying, yeah, yeah. we're just a new kind of hotel. Um, yeah. Sort of, I think, it's very, I would say it's very similar to what happened in the 80s with the boutique hotel industry. Mm -hmm. um, I, think, I think it's just history repeating itself. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform. everybody welcome back to slick talk the hospitality podcast and i'm your host will slickers and today this episode as i've been saying on many other episodes has been in the works for a little bit um you know covid messes up a lot of time uh timelines and schedules for all sorts of plans we had for the year of 2020 but it's been kind of cool to see it all come into flourishing now as uh you know we've been through a couple months of, of covid19 and figuring out how to operate remotely and all the sorts of you know new things going on so today i have michael who is founder of operatope we're going to just welcome michael on the show thank you for taking the time and to uh you know all this reschedules and emails that we've had to do getting into it i'm excited to have you guys on yeah no problem it i understand it's uh, we've all got zoom fatigue at this time and it's difficult to cram in another zoom meeting these days yeah, exactly. So many Zooms and then emails and yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> well, uh, let's just go ahead and dive right into the meat of the episode. Michael, introduce uh, who you are uh, really into kind of uh, your just background and overall story to getting to where you are today. And then uh, I have another little fun question for you right after. Okay, yeah. So my name is Michael Dreger. Dreger is a Mennonite name from Saskatchewan. Um, which is where I'm from in Canada, sort of the middle, right above Montana. Um, my background is in buildings, the building world. Uh, I spent most of my early childhood, I mean, when it comes to Mennonites from Saskatchewan, you really only have two choices. You can either farm or build barns. Uh, and I chose the barn building path. So I was, my dad was a general contractor and I grew up sort of in the trades. And then when I went to school, I took archeology span just because I thought it was really cool. Uh, and I really like old things and the way thing, the way people used to do things simply. Um, and then I ended up in archeo or sorry, architecture um, and building engineering. So I was running a building engineering and uh, consulting company that specialized in green building. And that's sort of how I got onto uh, Operto. The original name of Operto actually you would like, it was called Slick Spaces. 
Yeah, I so saw it, that when I was doing some research and I was going to mention that. I was going to say, why did you guys change the name? I love the name. <laughs> Just kidding. I love the, the new name too. I figured you'd love that first name. Yeah, definitely. Well, it, um, and the original intention was it's really more of a prop tech company. Um, like in terms of its in terms of its focus on solving a particular problem, so the hospitality industry is, has um, has a lot of really unique subsets of what needs to be solved, and sort of that property technology piece was the piece that we first wanted to tackle, because we saw that as sort of an um, like a, a real opportunity in the industry. Because I sort of jokingly say that buildings are the last analog technology. Um, you know, like a record player, basically, you don't, yeah. you don't know if the light's on, you don't know if the thermostat's up, you don't know if the door's locked or unlocked, you don't know anything. Um, and so the idea was basically, if we could bring that visibility to the hospitality industry, then you'd know if a guest had entered or left, you'd know if a cleaner had entered or left, um, you'd be able to turn off the, the, the heating system, to save energy. So um, my, and, and that was sort of where it came from was that uh, I was doing energy models for some projects I was working on in Saudi Arabia, um, and most of them were hotels. Uh, and the hotels had the same energy use as an outpatient hospital. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I thought, wow, that's crazy. Um, and then some, an engineer pointed out to me, well, that makes sense, because they're 24-7 facilities. They never turn off. Nothing ever goes off. Um, and so while I was, so that was essentially the problem that originally we were trying to tackle we were trying to basically set back a thermostat based on vacancy, if the person had left, if it's unbooked. Um, so really it started off with a basic question. Can we set the thermostat back when there's no booking or when there's no one physically in the space? Um, so that's sort of how it all started. But what ended up happening is we found all the great tech we needed in the vacation rental world. So all of the most advanced um, sort of smart locks we're being we're we're from that from that space. Most of the really really interesting thermostats were from like Nest and Ecobee. They were they hadn't they hadn't made their way into the hotel space yet. They were being really put like you the stuff you'd find at Best Buy, right? Um, so we were just thinking, okay, well, why don't we just commercialize these things that people can buy at Best Buy and places like that, Lowe's, whatever, um, and then just commercialize it so that you can use it in a hotel setting or a hospitality setting, you know, vacation rental, service department, that kind of thing. So that was originally how it sort of all came about, sort of a long winding road of um, hospitality and, and technology and, and buildings. Um, but like definitely, I, I felt the pain of most people who check in. Um, so I would fly, so I live in Vancouver, which is about as far as you can get from Saudi Arabia. So yeah. it was a eight hour flight to London and then a seven and a half hour layover and then another seven and a half hour flight to Riyadh. And then I would check into my hotel. Um, and so you'd get on the Uber app, you'd go, you'd be able to just get straight to the place, get out without paying. And then I would get to the hotel at, you know, one in the morning and I'd have to spend 20 to 30 minutes exchanging my credit card that I'd already paid with and, giving them my passport, which they'd already seen because I'd scanned it and sent it to them. And you know, that whole rigmarole of check-in. Yeah. Um, and that, and so they, that just solidified it more. It was, we got to solve this. <laughs> this is, this is uh, exhausting. Well, I was going to ask what, um, what particular moment got you from, you know, 
I would say having slick spaces to, you know, Operto where you just were like, this needs to be done. Were you still um, doing your other business adventures or were were you already full send in the business world? I was, yeah, I, I, um, so my consulting company, which, which I'm still a, uh, a very large shareholder in, I pretty much had to sort of step away from it and have my business partners run it in about 2017 and okay. fully devote myself to slick spaces at the time, um, which became Operto in 2018. Um, and, and it was the aha moment for, you know, knowing that that was the right time was we had a friend who was uh, onboarding a bunch of apartments uh, doors inside of um, inside of a building that had an old hotel zoning, um, so she was allowed to like manage a bunch of them, and she was just I need this desperately, um, and so we had a customer before we'd even finished the product, uh, early days. So you know you're onto something in the yeah. world of um, in the world of software. So we we built an MVP at the at the end of uh, sort of 2017. And then just sort of we started scaling it from there, um, and we got our first sort of hotels early days as well. Uh, some really amazing hotel clients uh, in Toronto. There's a one called the Annex. Um, it's a small boutique hotel in the Annex district of Toronto, and yeah, we just sort of started growing from there. Learning most of the learning because I'm not I don't have a hospitality background. I learned everything from our clients who would say, mm. you know, we need this. Or wouldn't it be good if it had this? Um, that was most of the early learning was, was them saying, well, this is how a PMS works. And you could feedback the four-digit access code that is on the door through the, um, through the PMS's automated email system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we ended up doing. So we ended up mostly taking our cues from property managers. Um, but our real sort of explosive growth started when um, we, we brought on Darren Houston, who's the former CEO of booking.com as our executive okay. chairman in uh, August of 2018. And he really sort of set us on a, on a strong path for like, he was part of the sort of the branding change to Operto, which is something a little bit more abstract. Um, like oftentimes with slick spaces, people thought we were a property manager or an interior design company because mm. it has the word spaces in it. So yeah. we just wanted something that was a little more generic and you know it was a little bit uh, it could be clearer to create a brand around yeah no that makes sense i i'm like man as much as I like the the name slick i think you, you guys made a good decision moving away from that and going into operto um before you said a couple things that really piqued my interest but before we get to that um before our call or before our recording you and i were talking about kind of crossing paths in london at the short stay show and the shorties award mm-hmm. and all that good stuff so a uh, fun little question I've been hearing on other podcasts and as well as like, like seeing everybody's answers, um, you know, pre COVID, what was your daily routine in a nutshell? And now post COVID, uh, what has your daily routine become or grown from in the beginning to where you are today? Yeah, it's funny. Like when we both got on airplanes, you said you got stuck in Iceland. Uh, I luckily was able to get straight home because there's a direct flight flight from London to Vancouver. And so I had to go into quarantine at that time, um, which is tough. So like my kids were in the same apartment and I was there for 14 days. But as soon as that 14 days was over, my routine kind of went back to normal. Um, and it's only because my routine is such that it, it's kind of COVID proof. 
Um, I walk to work most days. Um, my office is, is uh, you know, there was no one else in the office. So I was able to go back to the office and work from the office. Vancouver and BC didn't have a, an actual lockdown. Um, gotcha. So they, yeah, they, what they did is they made uh, most businesses change their operating hours. The restaurants were just not allowed to be open, open, but you could get takeout. So my, my routine changed a little bit. I would, uh, you know, I'd spend more time with my kids in the, in the morning going on bike rides. Um, and then, well, obviously I'd do my morning, you know, uh, Zoom calls. Yeah. And then I'd have like a long lunch <laughs> with the kids at home. That was early days. Um, and then, and then I go back to work on zoom calls. Right. Um, but then pretty soon in May, I went back to my regular routine of walking across the bridge to work. Um, and just, you know, trying to get home early to go for that bike ride in the evening instead, and then, and then work a little more in the evening once they were in bed. So it didn't change a, a tremendous amount for me. Um, we're already sort of like, we have clients all over the world. Um, and so for us being on zoom and Google hangouts and, all that stuff was pretty natural. We were yeah. used to communicating mostly virtually. Um, we don't actually have a ton of clients in Vancouver. Most of them are in the US and Europe and Japan. And so this is it. We didn't really ha miss a beat. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. That, that is pretty COVID proof, I would say, for a, a, a routine. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat when it comes to, you know, recording podcasts and whatnot. But uh, at the end of the day, it's a little different when you're used to, you know, I think pre-COVID, I was traveling the first, you know, two months going full-time podcast. And so not being able to travel now, I was like, oh, it's kind of a bummer. But um, it's still back to the, you know, day one phase of Zoom and Google Hangouts and that stuff, which is fine. I don't, I don't mind that. Plus, I get to, you know, stay home and enjoy the good weather that we're having while we have it. So it's always a good plus. Yeah, yeah we're, we're really close to each other. We probably have the exact same weather pattern. I know. I was going to say, how sunny and uh, warm is it over there for you? Probably the exact same for you. We're <laughs> <laughs> only two hours from each other. Gorgeous day yeah. out. Yeah, it's awesome. we got really lucky in April that we were just able to go for lots of bike rides and spend time on the beach. Yeah. Um, so it, it was, we're, we're kind of lucky with a low density of people mm -hmm. in Vancouver and lots of good outdoor spaces. So it, it made for a pretty um, livable period. Um, yeah, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's been pretty, pretty dang good weather since we got back. And um, I actually just got off of Army National Guard orders. I was on orders from April 5th until last Friday. So we uh, finally are getting back into a normal set here too. And, you know, getting to enjoy the weather and kind of do some normal activities for once. Uh, it's, it's a nice change. It's a very nice change. That's good to hear. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, so I want to get back to the, to the episode. I think, uh, the audience, um, for, for anybody who's kind of curious, I think we've been seeing, and this is something I've kind of been preaching about prior to me even starting the podcast and as well, but I think, um, the industries you kind of pivot towards technology such as Operto, um, where it's keyless entry. It's very, um, eco sensitive when it comes to the fact of the thermostats going back within uh, no occupancy and all these other things that you guys are doing. Uh, can you tell us for myself and the audience, you know, how can we as destination heirs or operators or hosts, um, you know, how op 
uh, Operto can balance a personalized guest experience and then the line of tech and automation for our industry. I think this is something that's pretty key and a lot of companies try to figure out. Um, and like you said, the vacation rental side of hospitality really did kind of figure out that balance in most of a sense, um, but really getting into like the hotel space as well. Yeah, I mean, they were sort of, they had to, right? Um, hotels sort of have this nice, hotel has had, hotels had every advantage, right? Location, great location, center town, and a front desk, and all of their units in one tower, right? All their units in one spot. So these poor vacation rental managers with houses distributed everywhere, uh, or like apartments, like five apartments in this building, six in this one, eight in that one, didn't really have the luxury um, to not have, and they have tech from day one. So they, mm -hmm. they had to adopt smart locks and they had to be really creative about software um, in terms of like planning and optimization around cleaning optimization and, and even booking optimization, just trying to get eyes on things. So um, I would say that that's sort of the thing that we sort of saw, but a lot of it was very, very hobbyist, very homegrown. So people using, for example, August locks, you know the the big soup can that fits on the back of a of a um, of a uh, of a deadbolt, which is you know kind of perfect. The problem is is it's designed for residential use, so you can only ever get five accounts or five doors on one system because it wasn't meant for scale. Um, so basically, that's what we had to do is we had to build a system that could scale. So as you went from five units to five hundred, you could still centrally manage everything and have everything be connected. The other challenge being that as you scale, you need to connect and automate way more things just so that you can be really good at, uh, at the back and forth with guests. Because if you're so busy running around delivering keys, you're not gonna be very good at, um, at, uh, at spending time answering guest requests. Because mm -hmm. you're just so you're just bouncing from person to person, two hours waiting for this person to come then handing them a key, then trying to bounce off to another one to hand someone else a key. So when it comes to like key exchange, um, our, the numbers that we've seen are around $2,000 per unit per year that we save people um, in just key drop-off costs. Um, even in sort of like a hotel setting, we've seen anywhere from a 33% or $86 per you know, unit per year, or sorry, unit per year in key card costs saved. Yeah. Um, I don't think most people realize how much key cards cost them, especially yeah. on the new systems where they're RFID and quite expensive. They're almost a fob, like a mm -hmm. residential fob, and they're, they're quite expensive. Um, the old school um, key cards were a lot cheaper, but the new RFID ones are very expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's a pretty rapid um, uh, payback on, on just the access portion alone. No, I was going to say that's uh, very true. The key cards are expensive. The the fob type. Um, yeah, I remember um, my first hotel ever was a 717 room hotel and that's the keys that they had. And so you imagine 717 rooms with an average two people per room. Um, that's two keys most likely. And then of course, yeah. any missing keys and event space keys and banquet keys and you, you know, people lose theirs. And when high school tournaments come in, you have every kid asking for a new key every five seconds. Um, you know, yeah. 
they're expensive. So uh, imagine yeah. 717 rooms times $1.50 per key times five keys per room at some points. It's just a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. So, oh, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that most hoteliers were really cognizant of that cost. Yeah. Especially early days that we were talking. But now that they're sort of pressed on all sides, they're looking at every unit cost and they're going, wow. Look how much we spend on keys. Yeah, <laughs> or, exactly. Or how much we spend on twenty-four-seven. Um, so what we what was really interesting for us was that early days. Uh, I would say it started in probably end of May, early June. Was that a lot of hotels had started to reopen, soft reopen, mostly mm -hmm. to house uh, people that were either sheltering in place or first responders or that kind of thing, and they found that they couldn't even get front desk staff. Like front desk staff just didn't want to work the front desk. They would rather yeah. work anything but the front desk, um, especially the the night the night crew. Um, just a lot of stress related. So they were coming to us saying, "I, I got to find a way just even to get rid of my night shift, mm -hmm. right? Like if even if this can basically get rid of just the night shift, not even the day shift, it will basically pay for itself instantaneously." Yeah. Um, Agreed. Which which is which is pretty uh, is pretty good testament to where tech has gone. Yeah. And I was going to ask also, so I know um, from my research, you guys do automation with locks and, and thermostats and other things, but what other types of um, Operto services or devices and other things do you guys have for either vacation rentals or hotels that kind of go into the, 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 the space of tech? The two biggest are uh, thermostats, definitely. Um, I mean, we can connect to a lot of other things like light switches and lights and stuff, but there isn't a lot of return on investment on lights on lights mm -hmm. your biggest like i said before your biggest energy load is is heating and cooling um so and and the reason that hotels were were used so much energy is because nothing ever sets back the the guest never sets back the thermostat the cleaner never sets back the thermostat so it literally just runs at room temperature all the time um and so if you can set it back just on vacancy like if you could so basically rough, rough math if you can basically set back the thermostat two to four degrees when it's unoccupied i.e the pms says there's no one booked you'll save about 10 percent but if you can also set it back so that you can tell when they leave i.e they lock the door from the outside or through co2 um you can save 30 percent um wow. on your energy bills it's pretty significant um, the savings that come from just, you know, um, setting back thermostats. And so those are the numbers you guys are really seeing with um, hotels and vacation rentals currently with COVID. Because I know, um, you know, OTAs like um, Airbnb have required, you know, 24 hours between, you know, check in and check out with guests. Um, hotels don't really have that kind of... Um, I guess not leeway, but they don't have that kind of requirement. They're probably going through more check-in, check-out room use than a, a normal vacation rental property would just because of other, certain regulations, but then also how um, for us, for our properties, um, we're, we're in the big square footage space. So our main property that we have and running is 22,000 square feet. It takes a long time to clean. So we yes. obviously have to have that time in between guests, but with hotels, they're more able, they're a smaller space and they most likely have a couple crews that are cleaning. Um, so they're able to turn over and have guests within a faster turnover rate. 
But are you guys seeing those current numbers now with the COVID-19? Um, you know, just with the money that hotels are saving with the thermostat setback and everything like that? Yeah, we're still seeing it. Um, and, and it really depends on sort of where where the unit is. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still sort of seeing those those energy savings because it usually when it, when things happen automatically and you can't see it in the background, um, you usually don't notice them happening, um, and you won't yeah. say much. And especially especially with um, with cleaners, they just sort of go about. They just you know how cleaners are. They're unbelievably diligent and focused. Like yes. when they get in, they just they're like it's incredible how, how yeah. efficiently they move through a space. Um, so yeah, we're still seeing that. What we're seeing a lot more though, in terms of like a revenue opportunity is mm-hmm. early check-in, late check-out. Yeah. Um, so we've seen a lot of property managers that have just said, can you automate it such that if someone requests autom- um, an early check-in, they will be charged $20 and then you'll move the code up two hours or one hour or whatever the case may be. Um, so that's something that we're seeing a lot of. And we're also seeing that a lot because there's a lot more, not last minute bookings, but people sort of like waiting to reserve, worried about the future, and then booking a local trip within two to three days of leaving for that local trip. Yeah. Seeing a lot of that. And so that means that the turnover needs to be done pretty quickly before the guest arrives, which is kind of the opposite of what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. is that it might've been vacant for two days, but now it's gotta, you know, we gotta make sure that it's ready for the guests because they're coming in a day or two. Um, so we're seeing a lot more of that. Yeah, and we're also seeing a lot more. The other sensor that has probably been their most popular is um, is a sensor that we use that measures um, noise, uh, occupancy, temperature, and humidity. And because that's another thing we've been hearing a lot of is that there's been a lot more house parties yeah. because people are traveling more locally. They tend to have friends in that area and there tend to be more house parties. So with the sensor that we have, we can tell not just if there's noise, so it measures noise in the form of decibels, mm-hmm. sort of similar to how musicians will measure sound acoustics, yeah. it's not recording audio. Um, and it also measures CO2, which is something we breathe out. Um, yeah. And so basically breathing out CO2 is a measure of how many people are in a space. So we can tell how many people are in there. So is this, uh, is this more like a, and, Forgive me if I'm, I'm, this is still a new thing for me for that, but um, is this kind of like a noise aware device or a minute device? Um, kind of in the sense of. A, yeah, we're familiar with both, but, um, and, we've, and we've worked a little bit with noise aware. We've looked at Minute. Um, this one's actually from a French company called Netmo. Okay. okay. Um, it was originally designed as an air quality device. It's actually, I think it's called the air, I think it's called an air quality monitor. Because okay. that's effectively what it is, right? It, yeah. the, and the reason yeah. I like it is because it's, it's dual purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's really loud in a space, you're not going to have a very good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If the CO2 is really high and it feels really stuffy, um, you actually also won't have a very good night's sleep either. It's sort of the re- high CO2 levels make it very difficult for you to concentrate. You know that feeling when you're in a room full of people and you just feel tired? Yeah. It's because of that CO2 level. So if you can open a window or bring in fresh air, it's sort of, everyone just sort of wakes up, right? Um, so it's the same thing. You want to be able to, um, like we can still measure occupancy it, because it's basically, it's a, it's a growth curve. It's just mm-hmm. that the, 
can open a window, then it just won't peak as high and people won't be as comfortable, sorry, it's as, as uncomfortable as yeah. if, you, uh, if you didn't open a window or turn on a fan to suck out some air, whatever the case may be. And I want to ask, um, so with the early check-in feature that you guys were talking about, is that with an integrated uh, PMP, like property management platform, kind of like um, hostly, or do you guys provide your own PMP or is it just an integration? We, we, are, we have our own, um, but we also use others. Okay. Um, so like we, we're sort of like, a, we're more like a connection engine, I would almost say. Yeah. For you to, we have clients that have their own guest app, for example, um, and we power the open button on that guest app. So if they have a change or to early check-in, that's just connected through our API through to our system that will change the code scheduling time on the lock. So that might be on their app and then that might be connected through the PMS gotcha. where it will auto through to Stripe or whatever the case may be. So we don't, we don't do it on the payment side. We're just there to help facilitate the overall operational process through our connection of APIs and integrations to, to, uh, to booking systems and to access control systems. Awesome. Okay. That makes sense. And now I was going to ask, um, we were kind of talking before the recording as well about um, just the overall shift in the industry. I think when it comes to tech and then of course, limiting the human to human interaction and lobby spaces and elevators and, you know, all the type of other stuff for, I would say for you guys, would you say that this is going to be a big shift coming out of COVID-19 as well? And do you think, because it was a little scary in the beginning, I think, you know, we were in London, um, no one really knew what COVID-19 was, how the, you know, the spread, you know, was, and all these other types of, um, you know, COVID details that were brand new at the time to where we're, we're a couple mm -hmm. months in now, you know, we've been doing this for maybe six months. Um, and um, so what do you think this is going to do with the shift of the industry? Is this going to be something we're going to see regularly or maybe you see any kind of halting or going backpedaling? I think, I, I, I mean, most of these trends started pre-COVID, right? Like most people were already ordering their food online, right? If they yeah. could. Um, I, a lot of times I would go to a hotel and I'd go to the, you'd look at the restaurant menu and go, nope, I'm going to order pizza from wherever on, online. Um, I think that I think that trend has already started, um, and I don't think it will stop. Um, I think that the same thing is to happen with this. So, in 2018, Booking.com ran a survey, um, and 63% of people preferred to check themselves in, so they preferred keyless entry, um, and that's gone up. We ran a survey back in June, and that's gone up, right? Um, which is obvious. Um, so it's just a trend that's continuing. Um, and it's not just continuing because of COVID, it's continuing because it's a better experience. Like the, like the hotel I was telling you about before, the Annex Hotel, they, um, they consistently get really high review scores. And this was pre-COVID for the check-in process. Um, because basically, you know how we were joking before this started about, you know, let's not have a long chat while I'm checking in. Let's have one at happy hour. Yeah, so exactly. Essentially, yeah, essentially that's what they did. So you walk through the lobby bar and if you had a question, you would say, you'd, you'd turn the lobby bar and say, you know, where's my room? Oh, just go up and put your hand on the door and let yourself in. 
Um, and then you'd come back down and have a drink at the bar and then have your chat. Once you've unloaded your stuff and, and, um, and, uh, and taken a shower or what, or what have you. Um, they even had a really cool system that they built in where our system would alert them when the guests checked in. So like in case some, there were a lot of, there was people at the bar hanging out, chatting, whatever, and you miss the person go by, the system would alert you that they had checked in. So i.e. first time use of code. And so they could pre-order things like a crib or a bottle of wine or a cup of coffee, whatever they wanted. And so that would alert the food and beverage staff to bring it up. Mm. Um, so it's, it's actually, it actually ends up being like a better overall experience um, where there's actually more touch points with the guest. They're just touch points based on when the guest wants to have the touch point, yeah. not when you need to have it in order to collect details from them, which is sort of how the, the process was always done, right? It's like, you have to go there so I can collect things from you. It's yeah. not really something that you as a guest want to do. And the whole kiosk thing was really just turning the front desk around <laughs> and yeah. going, why don't you put in, <laughs> turned you into the check-in staff which was why kiosks are so challenging because think of the amount of training it takes to train front desk staff. It's actually not that simple. Yeah. Um, but now turn that around and hand it to the guest and go try and figure out how to put your credit card info, your passport info and all this other info into the system and get a, and get a key card out of it. It's actually not that easy. No, agreed. It's uh, it's like retraining the, the traveling guests, the one that's never worked in the industry and they've traveled this way for so long. Now you have to train them. And that's kind of like a old dog, new tricks type deal, which does work. But it's at the end of the day, when you are, we're in hospitality, we're supposed to anticipate the guest needs. We're not supposed to make them do more work and work for, for their check-in. Um, it's supposed to be, you know, on top of it. And I like that model that you were talking about. Um, the touch, there's more touch points for the guest experience, but it's on their terms, their time. Um, Cause that's always been one yeah. thing that, you know, when you check in, Oh, Mr. Smith or whatever, would you like late checkout? Would you like blah, 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 blah. And we upload all these questions out there. Right. When, like you said, been traveling maybe for 20 hours, uh, you had three screaming kids, um, you need a shower and you're grumpy and hungry. And now we have 20 questions thrown at you. Um, it's not the best experience. I know we're here to make a human to human connection um, and kind of make the, check-in process smooth but sometimes it's kind of a hindrance than anything um and yeah. you no, kind of opened sure. up a, a question for me though was in my experience from the hotel side of things uh, whether we were a four and a half star marriott autograph property or we were independently boutique hotel uh, we saw a lot of issues with credit card fraud or um i guess and vacation rentals were able to vet guests, right? Where there's things that you can vet through inquiries and reservations that really help keep the property at a safe, um, I would say low safe, like, or a, low, a high safe level of being able to make sure that this was a good fit for everybody involved, the homeowner, the vacation rental management company, uh, the guests, et cetera. Um, hotels, the front desk is kind of that way to mitigate risk of, you know, is this, person checking in with fraudulent credit card or fraudulent ID. Um, maybe they seem good at check-in, but information doesn't add up via the reservation and in person. And then they've now mm -hmm. occupied a room 
and are able to make damage or um, maybe do some illegal activities that are very well advertised, I guess, from the moment they get in there and, you know, all sorts of other stuff. Uh, is there a way yeah. that, you know, this type of shift in the industry can help mitigate that risk still, but keeping everyone involved safe and secure and less, I guess, lower that barrier to enter or high, raise that barrier to entry of, um, I guess, fraudulent guests and or hosts? No, and I think, again, the answers come from the vacation rental industry because mm -hmm. they've had to solve the same problems. So over the years, what's happened is that all of the requirements, so for example, if you go to Europe where, you know, you'll check into a, a hotel in Italy and they need to collect your passport because they need to take your passport details and put it off to the police to mm -hmm. prove who is staying in the hotel, the vacation rental uh, industry has to do that now. And they've had to do that now for almost two years. Their yeah. challenge is they have the front desk. So what they had to do is they had to do it through technology. So there are two companies in Europe, for example, that just have catered to that. Um, they're called Check-In and Check-In Scan. And mm -hmm. so basically it's very similar to what the airline industry has done, where you can, you can pre-board and you can scan your passport and that passport details is securely goes to the border security folks in the case of an airline, because um, you're crossing an international border. But in the case of the hotel or the vacation rental, that validated information is going off to the police. So that can be done before they show up and that can be done through um, an online portal, you know, an app or an online portal. There are also systems, um, like there's a company called Autohost that, uh, that does free screening of people in a very similar way. There's Safely, um, which does it at an insurance level as well. They sort of do like a pre-screening exercise. Um, they also have like an insurance platform that will even back that portion. Um, so I would say that there's, there's a lot that's, that's happened to, that is, that is, and it's all being done digitally. Um, I think the biggest reason that the hotels have been slow is because they've been very slow to adopt new um, credit card payment processing. Um, the vacation rental industry stuff that they use, it, it tends to collect everything you need to do to automatically do your own chargeback. Mm -hmm. Whereas the old ones that the hotels were using, they, you, in order for you to do a chargeback, you needed to physically get the card. Whereas the new payment systems don't require you to physically get the card. You can yeah. still do a chargeback. So it's kind of like, a, it's almost like a fintech legacy thing that the hotel industry is dealing with on the chargeback side. I was going to ask, did you just get a copy of my podcast schedule? Because you just read off every, <laughs> I was like, oh I goodness. I did not mean to. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's an intro to all these other things. Exactly. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's generally it's where the industry's going, right? Yeah, um, exactly. And so it's actually, the, and each one of those is its own podcast entirely. Um, and 100%. super important, like the, where the PMSs are going is really exciting, like the property management systems. It used mm -hmm. to be that when we started this five years ago, all of the really unbelievably modern property management systems were in the vacation rental world, right? Like yeah. MyVR, Guesty, um, that kind of thing. But now you've got the hotel industry with great stuff like Muse and Cloudbeds, um, yeah. you know, systems with a ton of automation, modern FinTech attached to it. Um, really it's 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 really an exciting time to be making these changes 
um, because because there's they're a lot easier to make. Exactly. And I was going to say all the podcast listeners, you know, you know what episodes are coming out uh, after this one. But also I was going to add a comment to um, what you were saying, you know, the hotel industry kind of, you know, you know, rising its uh, standards as well when it comes to this stuff. Um, this is one thing I've been seeing, like when I first got into the industry, I, you know, I'm, I'm 25, but I was 20. I was freshly 20. Uh, I think a little, actually 19, but turned 20 right away. Um, and there was never, it was this older generation of hoteliers and GMs and, you know, um, I guess district regional managers and all this other stuff for big companies like Marriott and IHG and Choice and Hilton and whatever. Um, there wasn't many people my age um, that were in a coworker setting. They're all very much older, whether they're a restaurant staff, valet staff, front desk staff. Um, and if we did have anybody my age, they're, you know, doing a summer job or internship or nothing really long-term. And so what I've actually been seeing now with this open uh, floodgate of technology and, you know, uh, cloud-based PMPs. And then of course, um, you know, stuff like what you guys are doing, we're seeing, I think, a younger generation of like hoteliers and property management companies um, be born from this. And this is why I'm just seeing, I'm, I can list an example um, out here in Washington and the PNW, uh, a hotel company called Lodge. They pretty much take old motels that were run down and they buy them, flip them, but then they implement the vacation rental, uh, you know, keyless entry, smart thermostats and stuff like that, but then also creating a Com, like a communal space and restaurant, but keeping the human to human connection, but also having this upgraded hotel vacation rental crossover hybrid experience. And uh, I think it's pretty interesting. I think we're going to see a lot more of that trend pick up. I'm pretty sure you guys are probably seeing a lot of this happen too. Yeah. You, you make a great point. I think it's attracting young people back to the hotel industry. Yeah. Um, but, it, but in a slightly alternative way. But what's funny is you'll see the companies sort of start as, we are not a hotel, right? Yeah. They'll say that at first. But then over time, they realize, no, the hotels really got it right. They got standardized cleaning right. They got all of these things so that a guest knew what to expect. And now they're saying, yep, yeah, we're just a new kind of hotel. Um, yeah. Sort of, I think, it's very, I would say it's very similar to what happened in the 80s with the boutique hotel industry mm-hmm. um i think i think it's just history repeating itself yeah um does it make you want to get back in the hotel industry uh yeah i actually industry? yeah uh because we so we we manage a lot of um luxury vacation homes so we have two castles and a couple mansions and a few other things like that um so they're in like that they're kind of like a hotel in the sense but they offer a unique vacation rental experience you know we pretty much we tell our our saying is um meeting or exceeding expectations and creating destinations so we usually find these places Mm in un not in non-destination locations whereas you know they're not in the you know fiji or bahamas or all these like places that most people think of a destination but let alone we we make all the amenities to be there so you never want to leave um you feel like you're you're in that location for a while other than to go get groceries or whatever, but seeing, you know, recent talks with my business partners and the, the podcast definitely opens up a lot of doors with, you know, connecting with people like you and all over the board, like our partner, um, hostfully and a few other companies where it's like, yeah, I do want to get into the other hotel great game. PMS. I should mention them as well. Hostfully. Yeah. Another, super yeah. Forward PMS. 
Yeah, yeah they're great. But like it does, it kind of intrigues that interest because that's one of the missions for me has been, you know, how can we make the hotel and hospitality world exciting for people my age, you know, 25 um, I'm single, no kids. So I have the opportunity to really go on this adventure. I think, like yeah. I said, this has opened up that floodgate of the new age hotelier or my, my term that I love and made for, um, for the industry destination air, whereas people that are really um, wired to create remarkable experiences are anticipated and shared, but into mm-hmm. the sense of, I think really innovating and becoming like that own entrepreneur yeah. and, and business owner. So a really cool innovation we saw recently from a client of ours uh, called Mint House is they started putting in, have you seen Mirror? It's that, it's that mirror that's effectively like a workout trainer. Um, so you could do your own not. body wake exercises and Pilates and oh, it's so cool. So they've started putting them into the units, which is genius, right? Because basically there's not enough room to put a Peloton in there. Yeah. Um, and the Peloton is only one, one workout type. Um, but it's a way that you can add a workout amenity at gym and in gym thing to your suite um, and, and not wow. take up any more space because it's also just a mirror. Um, really, that's really, really cool. Clever it's sort of, it, and, and I think that's the one positive that comes out of situations like a pandemic is yeah. it really forces people to think creatively. Um, I was even joking with someone who does hotel training that one day you'll be able to teach um, uh, front desk staff how to work from home. Yeah, no, I, I that as a concept, right? Which yeah. is kind of, which is kind of interesting, right? And, and I think it would attract a lot more young people back into the industry and have them stay because now, now you're curating experiences in a different way. Yeah. Um, because that's more and more where the interaction is going, like you said, like spending more time in text and you just, and then you, you meet, and then you meet, and then you have discussions. Yeah. Um, Do you think this is kind of a, just a fun spinoff from the topic of opening up the younger generation, of the industry, but do you think this is going to push out um, maybe the older generation that's been doing this for 20 plus years, 30 years? Um, not that we want, like, I'm not saying that I want this to push out the older generation at all, but I'm trying to think of, you know, do you think we'll, will we find that good balance of being able to have the tech open up that door for the younger people while still keeping the older generation engaged and able to keep up versus do you think we'll speed it up too quick, end up pushing out that generation and, and so on and so forth. I don't, I, I'm big, I'm a big believer that, um, and I've seen this too. We have clients that um, they've run sort of like seaside, uh, like hotels, motels, and it's yeah. the family business in there and they're 56 and they're converting over right? Keyless entry, yeah. all that. Gotcha. Um, as long as we, it's basically our job to make sure that the tech is good enough so that anyone can use it. Okay. Um, yeah. That's really the job of any good tech. The reason that we were, I was so sort of particular early days that it had to be a code is because that's the easiest way to let someone in, right? Mm-hmm. They don't, their phone doesn't have to function. Like my dad loves to travel. Um, he's 70 now and you know, he never finished school but he knows how to get money out of the ATM. He knows how yep. to do that. He knows how to go to the ATM. He knows how to get out money. So he knows how to get into the hotel that's an Operto hotel, right? Because yeah. he, he knows how to go up to a keypad, put in a code and have it do the thing yeah. he wants it to do. It's that simple. And, and I think that's really the, the bar that we need to set ourselves 
for yeah. making sure that the hospitality industry is sort of for everyone and fun and accessible to everyone. Yeah. Um, is making it as simple as possible and as, and as accessible as possible. Yeah, because I think you're right. It, it increases the experience for the people that are more techie. Um, I think the issue we see with like Bluetooth uh, entry on the phone is that not everyone has yeah. like the best service where they're traveling or um, whatever. And that can always cause a little bit of issues. But when it's just a code, it's simple. The code is there yeah. for the time of your stay. Um, you most likely something really easy you can remember. And so yeah. there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of less issues, but then at the end of the day, it's still new. It's still clean. It's effective. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really like that. But then there's that whole sector of, uh, of young people that want to open the door with their phone, like a client mm -hmm. of ours journey um, who use their own app. Mo most of the young people like to use the unlock button on the journey app, just yeah. great. Um, and then the older ones, they use the, the code. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Dual um, option. They both they both work. They both yeah. let you in. No, I like the I like what you said. The hospitality is supposed to be inclusive for everybody, and I think that's our our job as innovators and you know entrepreneurs and tech leaders. I think yeah, I think it's a yeah. good mission and a good solid fundamental. Yeah, and everyone should just feel as comfortable as possible. And I guess that's that's the main challenge moving forward. Yeah, is that people are a little weary right right now, right in mm -hmm. traveling. So whatever you can do to sort of make them feel the most at ease um, and provide the, the fewest physical touch points, but a lot of, you know, um, communication touch points, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, you almost need to double your, your digital touch points and like almost eliminate your physical touch points. Yeah. Um, at least for the, at least for the, you know, the short term. I mean, they'll obviously come back in a various form, but I think it'll be a lasting change in terms of, um, you know, you know, people getting to decide when they want to have those physical interactions versus it having to happen as, as rote. Exactly. I, I like that. Or check out, for example. even check out, even check yeah. out. I mean, that's the, that's one checkouts also my least favorite experience. You know, you're rushing yeah. off to the airport and got to go to the front desk and like, look at your bill. Like, why can't you just send me that? Yeah, like, no, exactly. You know, not at 11, you can send it to me at nine. It's very, very unlikely to have done much else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I love this. I think this is a, a fun, no, this is a geek out episode that I needed. I haven't geeked out on like this kind of like a perspective in a while. So that was great. Um, yeah, no, it's fun. It's also great to get your perspective having been in the industry way longer than me. <laughs> you've been in the hotel much longer than i have well i just i think it's you got to understand like both uh you know both on i guess you know being one side of the lobby and the other side of the front desk like you're a traveler too so you understand um without like the the, the pms or the pmp uh side of things you still understand you know the intention of what the front desk is doing what housekeeping does and how the like operation works you know, there is, there's a reason why checkouts at 10 or 11 versus check-in three or four, because, you know, right. all these other things. And so having that understanding from the guest side, and still, I think that's one thing. Um, and I've said this before in other like podcasts or talks is that, you know, the moment we forget about the guest and team experience is the, kind of the moment we lose our uh, right to call it hospitality, right? Because it's now become a business to business transaction, which it is. It's still a transactional experience, um, but adding that human to human connection, anticipation of the guest needs and really being 
open to being vulnerable if need be uh, and transparent mm -hmm. that uh, that's going to always keep us make keep us hospitality and making it not feel like a transactional experience because then absolutely uh the yeah. japanese term omotenashi anticipating a guest's needs right like i agree i like that i lived I like in japan that. for a while they're they're the they're probably the greatest in the world at uh, at that they even have a word yeah. for it it's called omotenashi yeah it's literally seriously that word. that's my next yeah, tattoo that's my next tattoo i'm getting that i'm just yeah. gonna <laughs> <laughs> right across the arm that's awesome you already, you already live it you already live it you knew it yeah exactly yeah. No, exactly one word for it. yeah one word that's all i gotta say so podcasters are uh slick talkers out there if you hear me say that word you know what i'm talking about it's now become just anticipating the guest <laughs> needs i'm gonna say it <laughs> that's awesome well um michael any final words shameless shout outs final thoughts uh for the podcast listeners out there um that maybe um they want to learn more or whatever you got no, just shameless shout out to uh, to the Operto team. I mean, they've. I mean, it's it's been a it's been a really tough time, and they've just been amazing. Like, just absolutely amazing. Working from home, coming back to the office early, just like and the and just dealing with the incredible inbound has just been. They've just been amazing. Yeah. yeah just and I see you guys are growing. So any listeners out there, you know, looking for a job, there's a couple open ones at Operto. I think you guys would be interested in, and uh, I'll definitely you know, link out anything in the episode for um, more information for listeners to um, find out more about Operto, more about you, more about the company. I think you guys are doing some incredible things in the space. So I definitely want to showcase all that you guys are doing. And yeah, Operto team, keep it up. Thanks. And you too, keep it up. I love the podcast. Thanks. Will. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for being on the show. We will talk again soon, my friend. I'm pretty sure we got lots and lots more to talk about. Um, and all the slick talkers don't, uh, don't forget to, you know, go on slicktalkthepodcast.com, leave a review, check out the social media pages. And then of course, check out Michael and what his team at Operto are doing all over the world. So thank you again, my friend. And I appreciate all that you guys are doing. Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast.